Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. For those of you who don't know, this Tuesday is International Women's Day. To celebrate, honor, and discuss ideas around approximately one-half of the human population, I'm here today with Amelia Letvin and Ann Robertson-Tate to discuss and talk about geothermal and the professional organization, Women in Geothermal, or WING for short. Amelia is the unofficial social media chair, and Anne is the global chair for WING. I've been rambling enough, and I really want to start talking to our guests. So, Anne, Amelia, thank you for joining me today on the show. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background. Amelia, let's have you go first. All right. Well, first off, I think um, I'll have to change my LinkedIn if I'm the unofficial social media manager. Um, but as as Joe stated, I, my name is Amelia Letvin, and I am the senior geoscientist for Baseload Power USA. Um, Baseload Power, if you're not aware, is a branch of Baseload Capital, um, and Baseload Capital is a spinoff of Climon. And we're working towards getting maximum amount of heat energy, um, which is both geothermal and waste heat recovery. Um, I have been in the geothermal industry for 10 years, and my, my trajectory is a lot less linear than what Anne has experienced, <laughs> um, which she'll get into later. Yeah. There's There's been a lot of loop-de-loos and um, un- unexpected changes that, that have happened. And um, I find that having a, a great deal of resilience is an important part of succeeding in the geothermal industry. And Anne, what about your linear path in the geothermal industry? <laughs> well, it's taken some zigs and zags too, Joe. But um, I, I joined the geothermal industry when I finished my MSc in geology at the University of Auckland in 1985. So it's been a fairly epic period of time, 100% in the geothermal business and and 100% being a woman in the geothermal business. So uh, it's been a great ride and um, I'd be glad to share some experiences with you as the podcast goes on. Well, great. Thank you too for your introductions. And as you said, you've been in the geothermal industry for your entire career. Can you share with us what it has been like? What, what has, how has the industry grown and how has it changed throughout your career, and specifically in regards to being a woman in the geothermal industry, how has, how has the industry changed towards gender equality and, and just gender roles in the industry? Yeah, well, a quick, quick review of, of those 30, almost 37 years. Uh, it, it started with uh, a big boom in geothermal when I joined in 85 because there were favorable contracts for geothermal power that had been mandated by the PURPA Act, the Public Utilities Regulatory Policy Act of 1978. So there was kind of a a boom going on then. And then after those favorable contracts were no longer available, we went through a series of kind of boom and bust cycles competing uh, with cheaper electricity sources such as coal 
at first and later natural gas as, as the shale revolution happened. And, you know, we really expanded the gas reserves in the United States. So it's, it's been an interesting ride in that as consultants, you always try to find something to do. Otherwise you're not making any money and geothermics is a consultancy. So we, we went afield, further afield, and we began working overseas, um, which actually we had done from the beginning, mostly in Latin America, but uh, we expanded our horizons into Asia and other places um, and were able to maintain a, a good business uh, for those years. I started out as a geologist, then I became senior geologist. Eventually I became, I took on a second role of business development manager, and um, and then in, in 2010, we were acquired by Schlumberger. So that's kind of an interesting thing that happened. And uh, it was at that time uh, that we got a Schlumberger manager. But recently, in 2020, um, the, the company reorganized itself with a new energy division. That I'm speaking of Schlumberger, reorganized itself uh, with a new energy division. And then uh, my... Uh, former manager went into another position and that left the opportunity open for me to become president of geothermics. So that's how I, that's where I got to a couple of years ago. Took, took a while to reach the top, but I was glad I did. And when I joined geothermics, there was one um, a professional woman in the staff uh, for about the first six months when I was there, but then she went on to do something else. Now, we did have at that time secretaries who typed things. Um, I know it sounds strange, uh, but that's how it was. So there were women um, as secretaries, but I was the only sort of professional woman for a long time in geothermics. And um, that slowly began to change. Um, and particularly in recent years, uh, we've really had, a, a, I will call it a crop of wonderful women uh, joining our staff. And so I'm, I'm really pleased that we're, that we're nearly 50-50. It's about 40-60, the split between men and women in geothermics. And, um, uh, you know, gender equality has always been something that I've uh, desired and, 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 you know, fought for uh, on behalf mainly of others, because uh, personally, I haven't had too much of a problem because of who I am and how how I am. Um, so I, I didn't let that hold me back. Let's just say it that way. That is really exciting to hear hear your perspective and hear hear your experience in the geothermal industry, Amelia. I guess you and I have a similar path in terms of geothermal and in terms of International Women's Day, my first exposure to International Women's Day was actually when we first met in Iceland a little more than 10 years ago now. And and I guess that was when we both started in geothermal. So I'm curious, what about you? You've been in the industry 10 years now, a very, I guess, less linear path than Anne. How has your experience been in this industry as a woman? Well, um, thanks for the question, Joe. Um, actually, the International Women's Day that we celebrated in Akureyri, Iceland in 2010 was the first ever that I had celebrated. So it, it essentially put it on the map for me. And it was celebrated by the, the men in our class making origami flowers and giving them out to the, the women in the class, which is, is really lovely. And it kind of reminds me of a, a Valentine's Day, you know, like a symbol of, uh, well, a, a symbol of like adoration of something pretty. And I feel like the role of, of women has moved to be something more of uh, an equal partner, that we're more, that, that the thing that men can help women with isn't giving us pretty flowers, but in helping to empower us and um, help us feel like equals in the field. Um, so, so before I worked in geothermal, I was working in environmental remediation. Um, I went to, natural gas compressor stations along the Mississippi River conduit. And there were several 
power plants and, and compressor stations that I went to that didn't even have a women's bathroom facility. Like women went to the field so infrequently, they didn't even bother to have a bathroom for us. So I would have to use a bathroom that has a urinal and pinup girls on the walls. And, and now, like as, as if to say like a measure of change, we have bathrooms that are, that say male, female, uh, handicap accessible, wizards and dragons welcome, you know, where mm-hmm. we're welcoming of difference and acknowledging that differences exist and um, making the space for people at the table. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is amazing in a bad way to think that there are <laughs> that there were still places that didn't even have a women's bathroom. So, I'm just caught off guard by that. Don't know what to say to that. <laughs> it is pretty amazing that that it wouldn't even, you know, 10 or 12 years ago you would have thought there would be a women's bathroom. Um, yeah. That that has um has been a problem in a few places and and when it happens one has to be bold and go for the gents mm-hmm. and let them yeah. know you're coming yes so i just want to put a a question out here to kind of frame the discussion a little bit so we're gonna we're gonna look high level at the geothermal industry as a whole i am i'm bullish on the geothermal industry. I know both of you are. And I say that geothermal is going to be the foundation of energy for our future. But in order to do that, I think there are some some things that the industry needs. So just a high level, I'd like to get your perspective on what do we need as an industry in order to be that foundation? Specifically, people coming into the industry do they have any specific skill sets they need or are there, are there technological advances that we need to make? And we're going to use that to frame then a discussion about wing itself. Okay, I, I might jump in here, Joe. Um, I would say that, that there are a lot of um, technical uh, subjects that are involved in geothermal and we as an industry tend to focus on those technical subjects perhaps too much. We don't market ourselves very well. I call geothermal the old renewable energy, the first renewable energy. You know, it really was. But, you know, solar has really captured everyone's attention. And, um, of course, it's, it's a valuable element in the energy transformation, uh, a word I like to use more than transition because I think it's – more meaningful and uh, imminent and important. Uh, but um, that uh, said, um, I think we, you know, we do need both. We need to have technical people interested in geothermal, you know, to grow um, the workforce and to have a succession plan from, let's call it the past 50 years. I mean, Geothermex has been in business almost 50 years um, and working solely in geothermal, and we need we need the next generation to come to the fore. So there's that. But more importantly, we need to be talking to people more about the value proposition that geothermal energy offers. And it is a very broad spectrum of things. Everything from, one might say, the simple heat pump, ground source heat pump that uses shallow heat exchange to deliver energy to a home or to a campus or an office complex or an industrial park, uh, depending on the scale, to uh, direct uses of, of warm geothermal fluids for heating, uh, greenhouses, homes, etc. And when you think about it, you know, why are we burning fossil fuels at over 1,500 degrees Celsius to heat our homes at, at um, you know, way less than that, um, yep. typically about 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So it is kind of a funny thing that we don't do more of that. Um, then we've got, you know, the geothermal power, which has been the the role that I've, or the, the sector that I've worked in most. Uh, but um, there's even more. There's mineral recovery from geothermal brines. There's using geothermal to create green hydrogen, you know, powering electrolysis to create green hydrogen one green source uh, sort of complementing another, the double whammy there on green. 
um, and and even more. So it's something that is available to more people uh, than everyone realizes. So if anyone can probably use a, a ground source heat pump for heating and cooling of space, uh, many places have lower temperature resources, many more than have high temperature ones suitable for power. So to me, the entree to geothermal is to make sure that people understand that there's something in it for them, very local, very specific, um, not only power to the grid, although that is a really important thing. And I agree wholeheartedly with you, Joe, that geothermal must be a foundation of our energy of the future. Uh, but uh, attracting the next generation, and, and for me, you know, at my age, I'm thinking about succession planning. You know, who's going to take on the mantle of uh, of our industry and and lead it uh, for the next 50 years? And and to me, it's a really exciting prospect because we have a lot of smart young people who can do things better, faster, cheaper than we did before, and uh, really get into different aspects of geothermal that we might not have thought of, finding hidden resources, etc. I'll stop there. Thank you for, for that. Amelia, did you have something? Yes. Um, I think that a big thing that would help geothermal is a PR revolution. Um, a lot of people just aren't aware that it exists. And if they do, they don't know what it is or how it works. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, as does Anne. And just north of here are the geysers which are the largest geothermal resource in the world. And most people don't know about it. And it's, it's wild that um, if you go to Iceland, every single person knows what geothermal is and they use it every day for electricity and hot water. And I feel like um, in the US, we could really use a push towards uh, publicizing what we are and why it's so incredible and you should be into it. Um, I also think that there should be, and I've heard there, this is in the works, it's been in the works for decades, but the, um, the, the, the leasing and authorizing and government programs that you have to apply to and get um, approval from to drill a well, to build a plant, to tie into the grid are extraordinary. And it needs to be revamped. It needs to be a lot more easy for geothermal development to happen. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I think that everything that, that both of you are saying, a PR campaign, letting people know, pointing out all of the great benefits, I think that that is is where geothermal rising has has done a good job. I think that's where the International Geothermal Association is is ramping up efforts. And I think that this is where Wing comes in because Wing is is maybe maybe the new kid on the block is not the right term, but definitely Wing is is one of those organizations that is grabbing everybody's attention and it is the one that that I enjoy the most of all of the professional organizations that I'm a part of. So and I, I hope that isn't only because we throw fantastic parties, um, which is <laughs> which is a hallmark of Wing. Uh, but yeah, I'll just say that as as the single largest you know or geothermal organization in the world, and I won't count the IGA there because they're an association of associations. But of, of all those individual associations, Wing is the largest. We have about 2,320 members right now, and it's still growing. And thanks for, to podcasts like this, Joe, maybe we'll get a few more. And I'll just note that one of the main tenants, tenants of Wing is gender equality in our membership. We want it for ourselves, so why wouldn't we want it for our organization? So we're looking for 50% Wing men, as we call folks like you, and um, hope, that, hope that more people will join at womenandgeothermal.org. Yeah, so... Shameless um, pitch there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's <laughs> one of the goals here is to get more wing men and wing women. And so I know that wing, the mission is not only to throw great parties 
Can you expound on the mission a little bit more? So equity or gender equality and geothermal, what other, what are some of the other main tenants of, of wing? Well, we've recognized and and I'll give credit to the, to who I'll call the founder of wing, Andy Blair, a woman in New Zealand, who's uh, really championed the whole process of wing um, I asked her once, why did you, why did you get into wing? And she said, I looked at my niece and nephew and, and their young children. And she said, I saw immediately that they're being treated quite differently, the boy from mm-hmm. the girl. And, um, it suddenly occurred to me that that's happening in our, in our industry as well. And I think that is true. I mean, most natural resource industries are male dominated, um, drilling particularly, but not only, um, so it just seems to be a, a topic that it has historically attracted more men than women. And women have been given a pretty hard time when they're out in the field uh, doing, say, oil and gas drilling um, or other activities. You know, there's sort of, it's like a joke, like, what are you doing here almost? So um, obviously we want uh, geothermal not to go the way of oil and gas with respect to gender distribution. We, we're looking for gender equality in our industry, and it's within our reach, uh, definitely. And so, so that that is probably the the primary mantra of Wing is to achieve gender equality for in the geothermal sector specifically. And but the the other thing that we talk about is. Um, speaking up when you see something that isn't right, you know, it could be, uh, uh, someone being told, oh, uh, even though this person might be a very qualified scientist or engineer, they're told to go make coffee or get these copies or something like that. It does happen still. It's amazing that it would. And so I mentioned before that it didn't bother me because of who I am. I grew up in New York. Um, you know, in a family that ha- in which three of my four grandparents were university educated. So, you know, and I just never felt like I couldn't do anything I wanted. I, I felt the whole world was my oyster and I just did what I wanted. But that's not the case for so many other women, not only, um, you know, in developing countries, but particularly there, they're held back a lot. And, um, and this is what we want to change. And so Wing is organized in a way like the United Nations. It has uh, chapters for, for countries who are part of the group. And so we have a Wing ambassador uh, for each country. And I think we have 35 countries involved uh, right now uh, around the world. And um, each one of them gets to put their own imprimatur on, on how they run their Wing um, group. Um, one, we do have some rules, um, not too many, uh, but one of the rules is that wingmen need to be involved. And, and we know that we need the support of men to get the, what we want and we want to give back to them as well. So, um, I would say that, you know, that the idea of gender equality, speaking up when something is, is wrong and distributing ourselves and respecting the mores and issues in different countries is is really important to us. We are currently the United States team is currently the global wing team, but we're ready to getting ready to hand it off in 2023 to the next team, and we hope that we'll get diversity among the global operations teams as well. So it's like diversity on diversity kind of message that I want to deliver to you there. Amelia, did you have anything to add? Yeah. um, Something that really attracted me to Wing from the beginning is the, the international network of, of women that, that are attracted to it. Um, I've spent a lot of time working on rigs in remote, remote locations where I'm oftentimes the only woman on site. And being connected with a a larger network, I've found to be extremely beneficial. It makes you feel like you're part of something greater, that there are uh, women that you can look up to, mentors and 
uh, inspirational figures. And um, in addition to that, I, I think that when wingmen wear their lapel pins, it shows that they are an ally, that they're on board with the wing message. And they, they believe, not to say that if you're not wearing the wing pin, you're not believing in equality and um, <clears throat> inclusivity, but it's an outside, um, you know, external gesture that can immediately be seen at a conference. And I'd be like, you're, you're an ally, you're tied in. Yeah. So that's always so comforting when you see that. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. And it's a it's a really nice looking lapel pen in the shape of, of a wing, which is the logo of wing. Um, but it really looks snappy on the lapel of a of a navy blue jacket or any any jacket. And quite uh, it's I don't want to say it's masculine in look, but it it's not feminine in look. Let's just say it that way. It's a really strong logo with angles and, and it, it looks a little bit like um, a pilot's wings, you know, uh, that they might have on their lapel. Uh, and, and it's, it is really something that we, we suddenly begin to see more and more of them uh, when we do zoom calls and people are wearing them, you know, when we're in person with people at conferences and we see people are wearing them. It is, it is really something that we deliberately designed to be attractive to both men and women. So that's a, another sort of tidbit about how we, how we think. Yeah, I like it. So you mentioned several different programs that, that are being led right now through WING to, to help, help make geothermal a more inclusive industry. I think you mentioned the future leaders cohort. And you've been talking about wing men for a while. Yep. Are there? Can you uh, can you talk through the future leaders cohort? Sure. And and that uh, that initiative was started by the New Zealand team, but they didn't launch it. They were sort of working out the structure for it, um, and and uh, the process as well. Um, but we actually initiated the first Future Leaders cohort in 2021, and there's a new cohort uh, just as beginning to operate now in 2022. They overlap the years a little bit. Um, but the whole idea is we have women who who are hitting against the glass ceiling. You know, they're they're good at their their technical skills, but they're not able to advance into leadership or governance positions. Mm -hmm often because of a, maybe a, a, a bias against women in, in those positions, uh, not how we do it, doesn't fit our management culture, you know, arguments like this come up. Um, so what we wanted to do is to train them in things that are not their core competency, but the things that they need to know to become good leaders. For example, how to read a financial statement or a profit and loss statement, um, how to make decisions, you know, what's a good rubric for making decisions, which, you know, I have to do in my job all the time. And, and, you know, I honestly, I wish I'd had that rubric a few times and <laughs> <laughs> even now, um, but, um, and there's other topics that are, that are taught as well things about um, marketing and um, just non-technical issues that are needed um, about is to help women become more of a complete uh, person in terms of their skill set. And so that is something that people can apply for. As I said, the second cohort has been selected and is underway now, um, but there's an annual solicitation that is given and there's a specific um, form that you need to fill in uh, describing why you should be selected for this cohort. And uh, we've, we've done, I think the first cohort was 17 women and the second one is 16 or 15. I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact number. And they come from countries all around the world. We had quite a number of Africans in the first cohort, but we also have people from Indonesia and uh, the Philippines and uh, Amelia, if you know other countries, help me out there. I'm, I'm blanking. El Salvador. There you go. Yeah. Quite a um, number from Latin America as well. And, and it, it's just, 
the the things on our website, there's some um, information about the future leaders cohort and things that they've said and, you know, what the first cohort felt at the end. And the great thing about it is it happens over a, a fairly long period with monthly events for about eight months. So there's eight sessions altogether. There's homework assignments given in between. And, um, and the, the results that have come through are really positive. And the instructors we have are amazing. And the instructor pool is growing as well because people mm. are really interested in, in joining us with this uh, Future Leaders cohort. Um, I'd like to add on to that uh, some of the soft skills that I should use air quotes on soft skills because they're important skills, um, which Patrick Hansen led a, a course on. And then he also presented a wing mini symposium in January about the importance of having high visibility in the internet on in the social medias to have a professional profile on LinkedIn to be active and engaged in online conversations and contribute to um, operations such as geothermal rising and IGA that are always looking for volunteers and to help you be more involved and contribute and in addition to that there's the um, the, the lessons that are at this time going towards wing sponsors, but are to teach about the, the female mental load and imposter syndrome. So to give an awareness to the, the weight that is carried without even realizing it when you have self-doubt, which isn't a women's only problem. Absolutely not. <laughs> Everyone has self-doubt. Um, but I think it can be felt strongly with women when you don't have a, a role model to look up to, when you don't see people like yourself in powers, in, in positions of power. Yeah. That is so true. And I mean, there's more, so much on this topic that you can think about, you know, how women react differently than men to things, um, how women are more, uh, less likely to claim their achievements than than men. Um, they're not building networks in the same ways as men. Um, the mental load question is is a really good one. I mean, just think about a mother with children at home, or, or you know, especially new mothers. You know, they're thinking about a million things as well as trying to do a job. Um, a great example was given <laughs> of mental load by Andy. She said. Ask any man when is the last time they found, bought, and sent Christmas gifts to their relatives overseas. <laughs> you know, New Zealand is in the middle of the ocean, so that's that happens there. We could say in the U.S. to whatever state you're not in. And, um, you know, honestly, I never thought about it, but I always did that. Uh, and I think most women would say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you know, six or seven things at any one time. Now, multitasking, I think, is overrated and probably not really true, you know, our ability to multitask. But we certainly have things in the back of our mind a lot. And, and that's what mental load is referring to. And just picking up on something that Amelia said, there is um, a training, uh, a series of trainings that are being developed right now that talk about unconscious bias as one topic, um, like um, self-doubt or imposter syndrome, um, everybody has has that from time to time, and um, I think that uh, that these biases manifest in very kind of insidious ways in ways we don't recognize. Um, it has to do with our upbringing, like mine. I said, well, I didn't I didn't really think about gender. I just like kind of go forth and do what I want. You know, that's that's my thing. But, you know, so many people are not in that position and they also have um, maybe a perception that there's a stigma associated with doing something that is typically the domain of men. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues that come up. So anyway, we're, we're having um, the New Zealand team is, is actually continuing to develop this training 
and uh, the unconscious bias training will be available really soon. The next uh, module is going to be on mental load and, and how that differs between men and women and, and what to do about it. And then the third piece is going to be on how to um, implement strategies in the workplace that make it a more equitable place to work. So it's a really exciting time to be developing these uh, training programs and, and uh, even will be more exciting to deliver them to people. As Amelia said, our sponsors, which, which we're really grateful for, um, they get uh, some training as, as part of their sponsorship, but we hope to roll this out more widely um, in the future. So at the moment, it's a sponsor perk, but it should be more than that. Yeah, those both of those sound like very exciting programs, the future leaders cohort and then this this training and and correct me if I'm wrong, the is this training associated with the Wingman Special Task Force? Yes, it's kind of like um at, at, so the Wingman Special Task Force came out of New Zealand and Paul Suratovich and Andy Blair led that um uh, in in New Zealand and Basically, they wanted to have a series of trainings that allowed um, men to train one another about wing. And so there was a train the trainer course um, just to introduce these concepts like unconscious bias and and mental load and so forth. So um, they they did um, develop a pretty large program for it and have trained some trainers, but I think they're switching now to these more discrete modules that we can use for anyone. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's kind of an offshoot of the Wingman Special Task Force, uh, these training programs, and, and they're, I'm sure they're all merging into one. The interesting thing about the training is that um, as we get started deploying the training, we're going to record the, the audio only um, in an anonymous way, there's software where you can anonymize the voice of someone so you don't know who it was and use the feedback that shows up at these sessions as a way to improve the training. So, um, for example, people will give examples of where they've felt bias or, or had biases of their own or been this, you know, subjected to a bias of someone else. And, um, you know, these are things that are immensely personal and, and we don't want anyone to be singled out to, oh, this happened to that person. But if we get like a, a sense of what people are experiencing, we can use that to improve the training and improve our response to um, problems that, that arise. So it's, a, it's an interesting sort of self-regulating system in that way um, and, and almost like learning from itself if I'm expressing that in a good way. Yeah. 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 That makes total sense. And it, and it's exciting to hear all of these, all the, the work that's coming out of wing and, and how you are really, it's focused on the geothermal industry and, and making geothermal more, more gender equal and, and really helping all of us be, be better at our jobs and better at, at bringing forth green energy. So I, I, I think it is, definitely going beyond just geothermal it is indeed I'm, and i mean we want to be a like a i don't know uh, uh an example for other industries to follow yeah. you know like if we can do this in geothermal it would be easily adapted to oil and gas or another natural resource kind of scheme or really any yeah. other scheme so it is important to us that that what we do is transferable and yep. and not only um, for women, but, but just for encouraging diversity generally in the workplace. We, you know, there's many, many studies that show that a diverse workplace is more productive. People are more interested and engaged. Um, so, so this is, it, it's not only, you know, the right thing to do, it's probably good for business as well, <laughs> which is a good thing to do anyway. Yeah. So, um, this is, it's kind of a win-win situation in our view. Yep. So what does the future of wing look like? Well, it's funny you say that because we're, we're in the midst of just preparing the, um, um, the transition documents to engage with 
or, or to get nominations or, or applications from other wing country teams to serve as the global chair. So that's, that's in the very near future, as are the uh, core value awards, uh, caring, open, um, Amelia, help me out here. Um, courageous. Empowering. And- <laughs> yeah, courageous, <laughs> empowering, caring, and open. So those are our four core values. Sorry, I stumble over those. And, um, and that is coming up soon, too. So people who are members of WING will receive uh, the, the bulk email about these things. And, of course, we'll post them on social media. As I should say Amelia will post them on social media. And, um, and they'll be announced. In, in a slightly longer term view, um, we've engaged, uh, the U.S. team is engaged with what we call the interim global board. We, we want to have uh, over the global operations team, which the U.S. is doing right now, uh, New Zealand did before and someone will do starting in 2023. Um, we felt that we needed to have sort of an overarching sort of governance role of wing to make sure we're staying on track with our message, you know, not going off the rails. Um, and, and that group, which has been an amazing and, and volunteer, you know, we are all volunteers in wing. Um, but they have volunteered their time to assess you know, the differences between being a membership organization versus a foundation. And the decision coming out of that was that a foundation was a better oper- uh, um, operating style for WING uh, because it would allow us t- sustainability into the future and might get some funding in. So maybe we could actually have someone paid to do the job of, say, the global executive or the global chair. By the way, the global executive is Kelly Blake. Um, she works for the Navy Geothermal Program Office, and she leads that office in uh, Ridgecrest. But, um, um, you know, she really does all the hard work. The global chair is kind of like a, I don't know, figurehead or setting the tone a little bit. Uh, that's, that's my role. But what we'd like to do with turning ourselves into a foundation, which is a thought at the moment, it hasn't, hasn't been done yet, but we're receiving consultation on that, from our memberships right now, our membership right now, um, is is to to have us be more sustainable and, and able to bring income in from maybe other foundations to support the cause of gender equality. Uh, so that's that's two things that I would mention on the future. Um, I would add that the the goals of Wing, like on our website, the ambitions. We want to grow and expand a a geothermal, or sorry, a wing chapter in every geothermal producing country. And we want to have 50% female representation on panel talks and presenting at at conferences. So the the job of wing is is gonna take a while, but, but we have a few benchmarks that we look forward to reaching. Yeah, and we have a we have a saying about the panels. So we say no more panels, <laughs> which are men only panels. And actually, I was very proud of Marit Brommer, the executive director of IGA, who flatly refused to moderate a panel. Um, but I think they who whatever that panel was, they added some women to it. So she did it eventually moderate that panel. Mm. But it's kind of one of those things where you just have to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do this. And, and, you know, put your, put your uh, self on the line a little bit um, Mm -hmm. to, to get what you need and being strong and insisting and bold and maybe even demanding, let's say, um, I think is part of the game for, for wing. Yep. And with that, how do people get involved with Wing to help Wing reach these goals? Well, the first thing is to join. Um, it doesn't cost anything, and it takes about two minutes. <laughs> so um, that's a that would be step one. Um, the The other thing would be to join your local country Wing team and be active at that level, and that's how. 
the U.S. team, which was just one of many country teams, you know, I think there were about uh, 28 or 29 when we first started, something like that. Um, that's how we became the global team. We, we started to think about what we wanted to do. We initiated the awards, the, the core value awards and, and some other things. We started raising a little bit of money to, to support what we wanted to do. Um, and, and we sort of gave it, you know, our own spin on what we thought wing could do. So, so the, by getting involved with your local wing chapter, whether it's in the United States or anywhere else, um, you start to promote wings ideals in your community and, and with your, you know, maybe country specific or region specific issues, you know, what are you, what are you trying to solve? Um, the Swiss team recently did an event at, at a conference and, and they made, uh, there's a certain cake that's very popular there and they made one with a wing icing and a wing logo. You know, I, I mean, it's small things, but it attracted people. And the whole idea of wing is to have conversations about gender and like, how can we make it better? So even little things really help. But I would say get involved with your with your local wing team. Um, bring your thoughts to the table and your passion and your energy. And, you know, as I said, we're all volunteers. We all have day jobs and uh, we need to do them. But um, we wing is the thing like we love and, and we cherish. So we, we want people to feel that way about wing, like they're doing something really good and they're changing attitudes maybe even one person by person, you know, it, it happens that way. Um, they're willing to sort of put their, put their neck out and, and, and say no when something is wrong. Uh, but it, I will say from my perspective, it's been a little bit difficult to harness all that volunteer power. There's a lot of people wanting to do stuff with wing. And so um, uh, that's something I think we need to improve a little bit of, on uh, for structure how could we how could we really engage those volunteers in a meaningful way um and i think it's a a problem for an organization consisting only of volunteers who have other jobs to do you know it's it's not that easy but but we we love our volunteers and and need to do more with them and that's one of the best kind of problems you can have is too many volunteers (laughs) it is indeed (laughs) Amelia, what do you think about our volunteers? Because you're engaged with them maybe more than me. Our volunteers are the best, hands down. And um, so, so engaged, like so excited to, to be a part of WING, which is a really exciting organization. And I would say, in addition to what Anne said, I think becoming a, a member and volunteering are the first steps. The third one, if it's within your abilities, is to to donate. Um, that's a ongoing thing throughout the year, but on International Women's Day, if you want to be active in sponsoring international women, give give a donation to Wink. It's on our website on the donation tab. Or you could approach your employer about being a corporate sponsor. Shameless plug. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, with that, we've got a few final questions. I ask all the guests these more of a rapid fire style and a little bit more lighthearted. The first question being, what's the most important book you've ever read? Let's go with Amelia answering this one first. Wow. Um, So I've, (laughs) I've listened to a few of your podcasts, Joe, and you... You used to ask, what's a book you're reading right now? Is that you right? Can ans- you can answer it that way, too, if you want. <laughs> so right now I'm reading uh, Parable of the Sower, which is not my favorite book of all time. It's, it's rather um, dark when you look towards the future. It kind of reminds me of uh, that, what was it, The Maidens? Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Handmaidens, Yes. So a little dystopian, um, I would say one of the most important books that I've ever read is The Giving Tree. Um, 
I love it to this day. And although it it has it has some I don't know I can't say controversial, but the idea of giving everything to me doesn't ring true anymore. I think that the tree maybe didn't save enough for itself and it gave too much. <laughs> um, it's still the idea that you have to you have to give to get. You you have to put yourself out there. You might be a little uncomfortable and you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Hmm. And what about you? Well, the book I'm reading now is is an amazing one. It's called Invisible Women. And the subtitle is Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. This is a book by Caroline Criado Perez. And it's quite amazing when you see, you know, everything from how um, drugs are manufactured and only tested on men to, uh, you know, a myriad of other things. It's, it's quite amazing. So for considering that, you know, that this podcast is, is about women, I, I will say that that's, that's a really important one. If I could tell you my favorite book, it's not, it's not that it's fiction and it, it's anything by the author, John Le Carre, because I just love the way that man writes in English and his stories are just brilliant. So I'm a, a bit of a um, spy versus spy or mystery lover. Well, there you go. We'll let Amelia get her phone. <laughs> oh, no way. And those are good recommendations. I will add some of those to my list. And it sounds like the first one that you gave Amelia, I should add to the do not read list. So <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's a good book to read. Um, I'm a big fan of Octavia Butler. She's a, a sci-fi writer and um, it's just not an uplifting story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the story okay. of climate change. Yes. Well, speaking of climate change, the next question is, when will we be net zero as a society? Man. <laughs> Not I soon enough. In my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I think we're, we're maybe less sanguine on this, on this one than anything else you've asked us about. Um, I don't know if you've seen the film uh, Don't Look Up, but... It's very much an allegory for climate change, and it happens to be about an asteroid. But um, the asteroid is coming, and so the sooner the better. On the other hand, I'm just looking to see the price of oil reaching $80, $90 a barrel again, and it's not giving me a lot of hope. Um, so net zero, um, then, then you can look at, at, the, at the COP26 map, and see who's not signing on to this whole idea. Mm. And it's significant. Uh, China, Russia, India, more, you know, I mean, those are the biggies. Uh, but uh, how do I say? We have to be, we still have to maintain hope to uh, steal Mr. Obama's word. And, um, and uh, so my guess would be 60 years from now. Okay. Which is too, way too long. I'm going to yeah. cut that in half. Oh, I'm you're so positive, Amelia. <laughs> I, I was going to say like, like, and, then, and then I had to go for more. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of good policy being made in Europe, and it's slowly making its way across the Atlantic to us, and that hopefully it'll be, you know, like a wave of setting a good example that, that others can follow. Hmm. Slowly but surely. I like it. Then 30 years would be roughly 2050. So Yeah, that's the that's the number that everyone's or the date that everyone's targeting. That's, yeah. Yep. And you know, how do I say this? To me, people they're they're absolutists and they're incrementalists on this topic. And the the great thing about geothermal just taking it back is that we have something to offer on all sides for mm -hmm. helping save our planet. And, yep. and I think as women or men, everything we can do to promote that is, 
is going to uh, advance our cause for, you know, advance us towards the net zero date. So hopefully yeah. my pessimism is, is incorrect. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a realist at heart and maybe that's my problem. Yep. I, I hear you. And the realism that I, I like to call myself a realist and then everybody else calls me a pessimist. So, <laughs> well, it's all about perspective, like everything else. <laughs> the same thing with men and women, you know, same. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the last question is, do you have a question for me? And since there's two of you, I guess you both can ask oh, a question. Two questions. Well, you can collaborate or ask separately. I'll, <laughs> I'll ask you, um, how are you celebrating International Women's Day, Joe? I was probably going to celebrate it by posting on LinkedIn about this podcast. And Woo-hoo. that was as as in depth as I was going to get. So thank you for making it public. <laughs> <laughs> I should do more is what I'm hearing myself say. <laughs> and now I'll have to think about what more I should do. But I think that's a really to to be a little bit more serious. It is a thinking about it when we started international women when when I started celebrating international women's day back in 2010 in Iceland with Amelia it it very much was handing out flowers to the girls and now it is through this conversation through the past 10 years it is a a question of is that is that the best way to celebrate the the other half of society that is not that is not a, a male? And I think that's a obviously this isn't an answer. This is more just me thinking about about how I am supposed to answer that question. But in a way, the flower is kind of a metaphor. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, send her some roses. She'll be happy. Um, you know, I don't mean to say that's what you were doing. I think it's beautiful to get flowers. I love getting flowers. Let me just say that. I think it's wonderful. I love flowers in general, whether they're given to me or on a bush or a tree. So, I um, mean, they're really nice. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, I think you're, you're on to it, Joe, because – that gesture was the start of this journey for you. And it was a gesture that was given in, in kindness and love. It wasn't, there's nothing wrong with it. There's everything right with it, but there's so much more. And I'm glad that maybe this podcast um, or work you've done elsewhere has, has made you realize that, that, you know, these conversations about bias and, really doing things that are less beautiful and less comfortable might need to be done. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's, it's not easy. I mean, when we talk about our training and, and how, how that brings up subjects that are really touchy for people and they almost don't want to tell you, but they have to tell you um, it is, it is something really serious. And the more we can do to hear to respond in a, in a compassionate way, um, to respond in a more institutional way of remove, to remove these barriers or mm-hmm. problems that women have, um, to advance their careers, to be seen as credible scientists, to be, um, have their education valid, valued as much as a man's is. And it's very clear if you look at pay gap that that ain't happening. So, uh, and pay gap, by the way, occurs everywhere in the world. And in fact, the United States has one of the the biggest ones, according to the OECD, almost 18% pay gap. So interesting (laughs) factoid there. But, um, you know, we, we have more to do. And, and, and to me, your, your gesture 
10, uh, well, almost 12 years ago now, um, it was really meaningful and, and kind and it showed your heart. I like that. And, and I'm sure you have more in you to do as well. Amelia, what question do you have for me? Well, I, I have a question about geothermal in Texas for you. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts on the direction it's going and the speed that it's going at. I think the direction it's going is deeper and hotter. And I think it's going there at a fast rate. I think <laughs> it is. There, there are, it seems like every, every few months there's a new startup that is coming out of the oil and gas industry. And I, my perception is that many of them are sticking to what they know. That is, sedimentary basins and they are targeting targeting what they what they've experienced before so if it's a company that's been working in the eagleford they're going to go try and find geothermal in the eagleford if it's a company that was working in east texas they're going to go try and find geothermal in east texas and that is that is what i am seeing more of than than anything else as far as geothermal in Texas. I think that it is, I think it is a, a, an appropriate way to go. I don't know if everybody's going to be successful, but if there's anything that I can do to help them be successful, I want to do that. And I think that that's, that is, that is also what you're seeing in Texas is a, a lot of people trying to come together in whatever way is appropriate and fitting and, and still allowing for that, that business competition to advance geothermal in Texas while also hopefully, hopefully letting everybody still pay the bills and buy their ranches. <laughs> Good one. No, that, one. That is, I just, if I may comment quickly, Joe, um, so the Texas Geothermal Energy Alliance is having its first meeting this week, um, I think on Friday, um, and um, people may want to join. But the, the, the movement of the oil and gas industry, as you say, in, in the technology space and in sort of looking again at the geothermal resource potential in deep sedimentary basins is super important for our industry. And we're getting, just at the geothermal rising last year in San Diego, uh, we had much more uh, participation from oil and gas in that, in that uh, event than ever before. Yep. So it's, it's really a good thing that you mentioned here. Yep. And I will say the one Great thing question, that... Great question, Amelia. Yes. Good question, Amelia. The one, <laughs> thing that, the one thing that isn't happening that I think needs to is somebody needs to drill a well somewhere in and around the the Lano uplift. That's kind of the Texas Hill Country area yep. with Austin, with yep. large population centers that the problem is you obviously have these granitic rocks that are outcropping. So that would have to be an EGS project. But what better place to have an EGS project than in the middle of Texas? That'd be great. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, they got all the right equipment. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They just have and to get into hard rock. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and for for everybody who who doesn't know the Lano uplift, they may know it as the Yano uplift, spelled with two L's. I'm I'm not going to get into an argument here. I really just depends on who you talk to on how you pronounce it. <laughs> We're then, not talking about proper grammar. <laughs> and there's the Yano space in in Colombia too. So you yes. have an uplift in Texas and a basin in Colombia. <laughs> Spelled the same way. Uh, the Llanos with an N. Uh, with, sorry, with an S on the end. Ah, yeah. yes. So. Well, Amelia, Ann, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to say? I would just encourage people to join WING, um, but more generally to uh, – 
embrace diversity and respect women, um, particularly on International Women's Day. Um, we should be reminded of that. And, and the second thing would be to recognize your own bias on these matters. It's very difficult. And it isn't until someone else says something revealing their own bias where you go, oh, gee, I have that too. I have biases. I, I know I do. And I work hard every day to put them, put them aside and think really objectively as a scientist, which I am, um, but also think objectively about much more human and personal matters. Hmm. Amelia, what about you? Um, I would just like to say thanks for this opportunity, Joe. I, I think you're a great wingman, hashtag proud wingman. And having us on here to to talk about wing on International Women's Day is is a real treat, and um, I'll spread this wide and far. <laughs> As the social media guru of wing, see you're a guru now. Ah. <laughs> Promo what? or demoted? <laughs> I think guru is uh, above all. I don't know. <laughs> Well, Amelia, thank you for that. And thank you too, again, for being on the show. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please do me a favor, give me a five-star rating and leave a review. Doing these two simple actions will help these stories reach a wider audience. If you want to hear more great stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit OGGN.com. It's a new year and a time for a new work scene. If you're in the Houston area, try out the Canon. Mention OGGN and they will give you a free day pass. It's my Houston office when I am in Houston, and it's where we host our monthly OGGN industry mixers. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low-carbon, high-energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.